God's design for spiritual growth, avoiding the unnecessary delays and detours that come from bad decisions. You know, we've made them. We've made bad decisions. If you take that analogy, that picture, when you're going somewhere and you choose to just veer off course um, for whatever purpose you made, whatever reason you chose to, it affects the point and the manner by which you'll reach your destination, if you'll reach it in some cases. So let's look at a few things for um, avoiding those unnecessary delays and detours on our, on our journey with Jesus. I want to overlap a little bit. I'll just cut, touch on a couple things to start out, and then we'll pray, do a, really a quick review of, of last week's um, outline, and then pick up new. So if you'll join me in Hebrews chapter 5, Verses 12 through 14. It's God's desire that you grow, that you mature in your spiritual life. This life we have, he, it's understandable that you would mature and conduct yourself in an age-appropriate way. When we're infants and toddlers and moving on into um, adolescence, there's just certain measurables or expectations that we, we can realistically look towards. And so... Let's consider spiritually some of those things. In Hebrews chapter 5, in verse 12, it says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So you consider, you can see it's a, it's a bit of a, I wouldn't say a rebuke, but it's really kind of calling them out. Listen, you, you should be further along, some of those who are the recipients of this particular letter to the Hebrews. And so he said, you, you know, you should be further along. And this is not a guilt trip. This is not pressure. This is not God saying, get it together. But he is prompting his children to, 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 to rise up, to step up, and, and to kind of take it more serious, if you would, in their regards to their spiritual life. Because they, they should be further along, and he uses this picture. And we can get it from even the comparison to infancy. When you're just drinking milk, that's fine if you're an infant. But when you're you know, like seven and still on the bottle, you should, be ha- you should be eating regular food. You shouldn't be just on the bottle. But I want to draw your attention to a portion of this that has stood out with, to me and been a point of consideration, contemplation for years. Solid food belongs to those who are of full age, and it's not just the, the, the longevity, but the maturity. That is, those who, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Spiritual growth involves our natural senses. And sometimes we don't think, realize that. Sometimes we, we think that there's going to be something happening internally because of God's presence that to some degree will override our decision-making processes and will interfere with our, our passions and desires in such a way we can just roll with it and it'll all work out. But notice what this passage says. Maturity does come alongside one element of maturity is by reason of use, they have their senses exercised. So you, you, you kind of learn to weigh that out. We say things like, well, I, the Lord's in it. God's directing it. And then we have the results, which he clearly wasn't. So then what do we do? We exercise our senses to discern both good and evil. Like, now that I look back on that, which I was confident was the Lord's hand, I can see it was my persuasion, my preference, and actually I was given into a little bit of temptation, but I was saying God's doing it. Do you understand what I'm talking about? It actually is very common in the body of Christ to to not stop, to not pause, to not wait, but just be confident. Oh, the Lord's in it. You, You know what I'm talking about. The Lord's in it. The Lord's doing it. Well, have your senses been sharpened? Have, do you weigh these things out? Because that's where maturity comes from. It's not the only thing, but it's an element that we look in our life and we look and go, you know what? I knew the Lord was in it. Yes, he was, 
And sometimes when he's in it, he's leading, and you go, yes, God's in it, and boom, you take a hard right. And now you're off over here saying the Lord's in it and still selling your, you know, you still got your promotion, you still got your sales pitch, you're still convincing friends around you. But the fruit says, was he? And this is what a a lover of God, a Christian who is formed and shaped by the Father will do. God, could you help me? Because in looking back at what I said there and what I did here, I, 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 I didn't line up. Your senses are sharpened. You go from feeling this is what God wants, you're working through the logic, but does that reason through with what the Word of God says and where I ended up over here, how did these two seem to be so far apart? And I think it's so important because we sometimes feel guilty or we, we get kind of, we overcomplicate it instead of just pausing as a child and saying, God, I, Father, I, I don't know how to do this. I need help. I, I clearly didn't like dial that up right, or I didn't. I, I missed something. Not that you'd be over analytical, but do you see what is being said? Who, by reason of use, have their senses sharpened. Why? To discern good and evil. And ultimately, I could I could think accurately bring in by reason of use have their senses sharpened to understand the will of God for their life. To have it where I, I do, I, is this good or is it evil? Well, sometimes it's not one or the other. It's this wor- weird world we live in where we're trying to find a balance and understand how to walk. I, I, part of me wishes the path was just, you know, the world we live in is muddy and murky and thorns and all this. But if there was just a white line right down the middle where I could see it and I could just walk just patiently and directly and I, I, I wouldn't even get dirty. I could just do it. That's called heaven without the side barrier. You know, so until we get there, realize you're gonna walk through the muck and the mire. And in the process, we gotta have we gotta learn as we go how our senses sharpened. Because you know, Jesus said, We looked at this last week in Revelation chapter two, and again in Revelation chapter three, and and and, and even though the scripture is is Genesis to Revelation. And that's a small amount. This is not very much in regards to literature of humanity, in regards to what could be. John said if everything was written about Jesus, there wouldn't be enough libraries to contain the volumes written. And yet we have Genesis to Revelation and repeated seven times. So I believe that's valuable space. And then to turn around and repeat it, it's not redundant. It's for purpose. And what was repeated seven times? He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What is he saying to you and me? He's not talking about a a gathering specifically. He's talking about his body. What is God speaking to you? So important to to learn to be led by the Spirit. In Matthew 11, you can see a parallel in Mark 4. You know, Jesus himself said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So, let's pray, okay? God, as we would read those phrases, and we, some of us, many of us even, have read them with others and heard them and, and sat under studies about these particular phrases. But Lord, ultimately, it's a day-by-day thing we desire from you, that you would capture our attention that you would free us from distractions, that we would have an ear to hear. We'd be inclined to take hold hold of what you would speak to us, of the correction you would bring because your correction is for our benefit, of the comfort that you would bring for you know when we're heavy-hearted and heavy laden, that you, Lord, would speak words of life to our hearts, that you would help us in these decisions that we need to make that you even, Lord, would give us wisdom to know how to walk through this life in such a way that it would glorify you and we'd be freed from the entanglements of sin and the things around us. Thank you, God. Teach us even tonight. Give us ears to hear what you would say. Give us hearts to follow. Thank you, God. It's in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.
All right. So from last week, I'll bring these up. Um, and there's, we're going to be in Joshua tonight. So from last week, we looked at stay close to the one you're following. That was out of Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Because we looked at, you know, you want to know what he says about you. And he know, you want to know what he says to you. What he says about you, what God says about you, is more important than what you say about you. You can inflate yourself, or you can almost destroy yourself because of self-condemnation. So it's more important to know what he says, because that helps you stay the course. And, and then also, in the second thing we looked at out of Joshua 3, free yourself from the shackles of familiarity. Free yourselves from the shackles. You know, faith is, a, is an adventure, if you would, in unfamiliarity. In Joshua, you know, as we go through this, you know, they were familiar with the land on this side of the Jordan. But Moses was dead. The baton has been passed to Joshua. And now they ate breakfast different. They got up. Everything's starting to change. Now, although they've been sitting there for a while, waiting for the, the trumpet, the, the invitation, now it's time to go. And, and it's familiar territory. And it's like, well, you know. You know, faith is an adventure of unfamiliarity. Agreed? If you're really familiar, it's usually because you think you know how it's going to go. And that's usually when God's saying, make sure your senses are sharpened because we're going to go this way. It's going to be like this. And, and it just seems even awkward and even odd, you know, the way they cross the, the River Jordan. But they've seen a phenomenal thing. The third thing we've seen last week was remember God's faithfulness. We drew that out of Joshua chapter 4, because as they crossed the River Jordan, they, in a very orderly, orderly way, were instructed to, to pick up the stones and place them on the side of the promised land as a memorial, as a reminder of what God has done for generations to come. Our lives are a testimony to speak of what God has done. I have people in my family. I have people that I'm aware of. I read even of some people historically through biographies and such that speak of God's faithfulness and reading of those stories and knowing some of those people, it, 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 it strengthens you. So I want to encourage you, you know, remember God's faithfulness. Last week, we also looked at in chapter five, obedience is painful yet purposeful. They, they're on the other side. The, the, the enemies on the other side of the River Jordan, in the Promised Land, had heard of Israel's victories already. They heard about the Red Sea, but a long time has passed. And then they heard about the crossing of the River Jordan, and we're told in a chapter that they were, the enemies were afraid. It's time to strike. It's time to go. But guess what happens? God said, stop right there, and... All the men who were born in that generation that was waiting to cross the promised land were going to be circumcised right now. Excuse me? It's really not the best time. Like there would ever be a good time. It's like, uh, and, and circumcision speaks of cutting away of the flesh, cutting away from connection to the world. And so we've seen that last week, that obedience is painful yet purposeful. They were a be, to be a people set apart for God. And as they start this conquest that God would direct them through, they were to be dependent upon God and they were to know God's hand. Tonight, part two, staying on course, picking up in Joshua as we look at God's design for spiritual growth. Let's stay in chapter five and let's look at verse 13. Now, they've been circumcised. Um, they're they're, they're kind of hanging tight for a little bit. Um, the aid of the produce, and now, and now things are going to change. Verse 12 says, The manna ceased on that day after they'd eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. So some interesting things have happened. A really big change. Joshua's having to weigh this out. You know, the river didn't stay open for you to go back. You are now on the other side, and that's where, that's where you're going to be. Verse 13, And it came to pass... When Joshua was by Jericho, Jordan's on one side, the river which stops him, and Jericho is the first adversary, enemy, and the next thing you'll face. 
Then he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. My outline reference for Joshua 5, we just read, If you don't know, ask. Is it you, Lord? Is it you? Are you for us? Or are you for our enemies? And he said, no. It wasn't a yes or no question. Who, who, who are you? Where, are you? where do you side on this whole situation? I'm the commander of the Lord's army. It, it was a theophany. Many believe I, I hold to a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. We, we see that because of his response. And he bows down before him, realizing this is God. This is the, the commander of the Lord's army. And what an amazing thing. Let's break this down a little bit. If you don't know, ask. Do you see the, the, the beautiful courage that, that Joshua has? This had to be a very impo- imposing figure. I mean, you think about it. There was, there was something there. I mean, it's, I don't know, very natural. And yet at the same time, like, okay. But, and his sword's drawn. And Joshua's like, you could run right now, right? He could, he could tell someone to sound the trumpet, gather the people. Get this. But what does he do? Look at what he does. It says he stood opposite him with his sword drawn, and Joshua went to him. He went to him. You know, there's times you got to do what you don't want to do. There's times that are just difficult, and you just realize this: the right way to deal with this is to deal with this. And so, who is this? I don't know. If you don't know, ask. Lord, are you in it? Is it you? Is it Because you? you have that question. We have that pondering and that wondering at times. We want to tell ourselves, I know the God's in it. Do you stop long enough to ask? It's really a simple thing. It's really helpful to stay on course. I know it's not just a man thing. Most women tend to say it's a man thing that won't ask for directions. But I don't think it's a gender-based reality. I just think it depends on who's behind the wheel many times. But you've heard the story, right? I was like, well, don't ask. Why? Don't ask for directions. You'll get there. We'll figure it out. No, I think it's this way. Wouldn't it be better just to stop and ask? Yeah, it really is. And in this situation, we can see the importance because Joshua recognizes, hey, this figure, this person right here, you know, we got to know where we are. Man, what an amazing thing. If you don't know, ask, Lord, are you in it? Yeah. I mean, I believe you'll, you'll know that. I believe he'll give you a peace that surpasses understanding. If we are willing to, to present our petitions to God, come before God with, with, with thanksgiving, which means just speaks of an attitude of gratitude and thankfulness. Lord, I, I just need to know what to do. I don't know if you're in this, directing me to this, or if you're directing me to this, are you in it? Because I want to know. I want to know if he's in it because I don't always know the yes, right? I mean, it's hard to discern the yes because there's a lot of yeses that God would direct us to. But you will know what no is. And you want to know what no is. God, can I do this? Can I do that and that and that? And you don't hear anything. Well, can I do that? No. This is the one you don't do. So no, that's my little saying. Know what no is. If you want to know the will of God, know what no is. How do you know no? Well, you know no when you're willing to admit, I don't know, but I have everything that pertains to life and godliness. And if I decided, well, I think the Lord's in it. I think he's approving this relationship or okay in this activity. I mean, I know his word says differently, but he's speaking to me personally. Your idiot omometer should be going beep, 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 because that's a really dumb conclusion. If he says don't in his word, he doesn't need to verbally tell you, go ahead. If he's already said it, he doesn't need to say it again. You need to know what he says. 
Not pressure, it's, it's desire. I want to know. Joshua wanted to know. Let's move along. We're going to have so many, there's so amazing things when we look here at Joshua with this kind of approach. But let's look now in Joshua 6. In Joshua 6 is Jericho. And many of you, you know the story. We've heard this is one of those Sunday school stories, like David and Goliath and you know Daniel and the lion's den and, and Jericho. So here you are. You can't go back. You have this adversary, this problem in front of you, this, this walled city. So what do we do about it? He's a, he's a military man. He, he, he's, he knows how to fight. He knows how to deal with things. People know how to deal with, you know, they've had conquest. They've had challenges. Let's put it that way. So let's see what he does. As we can see in Joshua, we begin in verse 10 because, you know, he, Joshua receives instruction. We're not told how much time passes between the time he received instruction until the time he issued the command. God's timing is perfect. It may have been overnight. It may have been very brief. It would have seemed like a long time to Joshua because he's got to tell them what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. Verse 10. Now Joshua had commanded the people saying, you shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout. Then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city going around it once. Then they came into camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. Verse 13, Then seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, and the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Okay, but when do we fight? We We broadcast, we let them know we're here. They knew that already. Do you, do, are you tracking with the military strategy here? Are you okay with it if you're just as the first lap? You're like, okay, let's read on. Verse 14. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. It's structured this way, telling the story for a purpose. They did it this way once, and then they did it again. And you know as well as I do, there will be murmuring in the camp. There would be wondering, like, what? I think Joshua slipped a cog. I think that whole Lord commander of the Lord's army thing kind of set him off. I don't know. This is the weirdest thing I've ever heard of. We're just walking around the city waiting for her to throw stuff at us. So what are we doing? You know, we all know that, well, we know their parents and the murmuring and complaining. They probably had to be concerned. They did this. Once returned to the camp, so they did six days. Six days. You get up, you go around, you hear it, it's now a pattern. It came to pass, verse 15, on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And we know what happens. The walls fall down. Weirdest victory in one of the weirdest victories in the Bible. It was not a show of force from the army. It was a, it was a, it was a clear depiction and presentation of the power of God within the army. Showing them where their strength comes from. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Those who trust in horses and those who trust in chariots, yeah, they can do their thing, but we shall trust in the Lord. So here, my encouragement, my outline, my point on this one is trust what he says. Trust what he says. He said, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And and reason with him, I think that's healthy. Uh, Isaiah was invited by God. God said to him, come now, let us reason together, you and I, thus saith the Lord. Reason, in other words, like, this is really confusing to me. I don't understand how this can be. How is this going to work? I don't know. I want to go out by faith, but my senses are, (laughs) this doesn't seem like a good idea. Mm, Okay. But do you think I can bring victory to you? 
yeah, you, you can do whatever you want. You, you, you know, you can do it with a ram's horn. You can do it with a shout. You could just shake the earth and the walls will fall down. There's so many different ways he could do things. We actually limit God by our perceptions of the power of people and our, our, our reference to earthly uh, history and experiences. Because we don't go, God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know you're going to do it. I know you have a plan. Maybe it'll be slow, and maybe it'll be difficult, and maybe it'll be hard. Or maybe it'll be instantaneous. Trust what he says. Now, you can only trust what he says when you know that he said it. There, it's a personal thing. It's an intimate thing. It's a realization that like, there's just, you know, you try to tell someone else, the Lord just really give me a peace, a confidence that things are going to be okay. It's, it's going to be all right. And people don't understand it because you have, and I keep referencing back to Philippians 4, you have what, what the Bible refers to because of your, your trusting in God, your bringing to God, your petitions and your requests with thanksgiving. The result of that is you have a peace that surpasses understanding. Break that down. I have a peace. Let me explain it to you. Oh, wait, you can't understand it. Well, let, it, let me explain it to me. Well, neither can I. But I still have a peace. A peace that's not um, dependent upon this cranium, my capacity to reason and understand. It's a peace that surpasses. It's above that. And that's why it calms our mind because it's above it. And so I want to encourage you, you know, just trust what he says, know what he says, and then just stay the course. So they, the walls fall down. It, it, it just, you know, it's an amazing victory. They're instructed what to do, what not to do. And now let's pick up in chapter 7, verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass according, regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. The accursed things, the things that they were told not to take. Let, let me give you a reference. Well, I'll just read it, picking up in verse 17 of chapter 6, where we just were. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord for destruction, and it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that, was sent, that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble. But all the silver and gold and vessels of, of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the people. And so then we see what happened, and it all unfolds there as the walls fall down. But the children of Israel committed a trespass of the accursed things. Going on there in chapter 7, verse 10. So what had happened between verse 1 and 10 of chapter 7 was the defeat at Ai. AI was a city. It, it was artificial intelligence even in this story because they didn't inquire of the Lord. They didn't really, you know, they, they think, oh, well, you know, it's not going to take many people. He sent out some spies, sent out some, you know, some buddies, just check it out. You know, it's not that big a place. A couple thousand men, we can take it. So they go, and, and they, they sounds like a good deal. So a small uh, battalion, if you would, goes, and they're defeated. 36 men, I think, die. And, and now they're coming back, and now they're terrified, because here now they've had one victory in Jericho, and now they're, they're going in to continue this conquest, and they're trapped. they got, they got problems. And Joshua is like weeping before God. God, what is going on? How could you bring us into here and drop us on like that? How could, you know, what, what's going to happen from here? You can see that in, in verse, you know, from verse six down. He tore his clothes. He fell to the earth. Look at what God says to him in verse 10, because he says that to us sometimes. So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? See, Joshua is about to discover something that he didn't know, but I, I believe if there would have been a little more calmness and a little more seeking, this is just my speculation, so take that for what it is. If he had more calmness and more seeking the Lord, he'd, he'd have known what was going on because God does show him in the chapter to come what actually was taking place. 
The point to this and the outline for this is sin is a horrible delay and a deadly detour. Sin is a horrible delay and a deadly detour. Verse 10, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have taken themselves of the devoted things or accursed things and have both stolen and deceived. And they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the cursed from among you. Get up, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst. O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed things from among you. In the morning, therefore you shall be brought before, brought according to your tribes. It shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to the families, and the family which the Lord takes shall come by household, and the household which comes shall come man by man. Then it shall be he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. So really a terrible thing is unfolding because Achan, A-C-H-N, decided he was going to keep back for himself what God said don't touch. You know, what's interesting is that the battle of Jericho will have spoils, the spoils of victory when you take them. So, you know, there are certain things that they would be able to have. There are certain things that would be set apart, dedicated for the Lord, always in these conquests. Well, he could have had it, but instead he took it. He kept back for himself what he implied was maybe uh, given to the Lord or he didn't take. You know, there's a parallel passage in the New Testament. It's in Acts, I believe it's chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira. You remember the story? So Ananias and Sapphira are all in on this whole new church thing. They're all in. I mean, there's a really neat thing happening, and they're like, okay. And so, but they conspire together and say, hey, when they ask, tell them that we sold the house for this much. And they kept back a portion for themselves. They could have kept it all for themselves. They had no, there was no obligation to, to give. It was more a type of, you know, human peer pressure in a sense that they put on themselves. But Peter questions Ananias and he says this. Did you sell the house for, or did your properties for this much or this? And he said, oh, it's for this much. And Peter said, why did you conspire? Why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? Why did you lie to God about this? You could have kept it for yourself. And what happens to Ananias? Or Ananias? Eek! Keels over on the spot. They take him away and bury him. Sapphira comes along and he says, so what's, what do you guys sell the house for? What's the deal on this thing? But they've already conspired together to deceive and imply that we're more spiritual, more involved, more all in than we really are. And she agrees because they've already made the deal. And she doesn't know, and he says, you know, the men who just carried your husband out will now carry you out because you've lied to God. And it's, I, it's so amazing to me because that, that's a soul-shaking portion of the New Testament that the people don't want to read. Let's have a New Testament church. All right, go to Acts 5. No, 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 let's go somewhere else. Let's not go there. What, what's the issue? Is it money? It's not money. It's greed and deception. It's the deception, implying that God doesn't know. Here in Ai, Achan implies, who's going to know? Who's going to know? How will God know? He, God knows. It's fast. There's so much in this. I don't have time to dig into all of it. But realize in verse 20, we see here in this uh, passage in chapter 7, Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. 
Coveted just speaks of desired. I, I desired them and took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. So they go and they go to his tent, verify, bring it to Joshua. It's confirmed that that's the cause of the delay of the stall of, of the death of some men. And so they end up dying for that, him and his family. Now, I want to mention something, though, in regards to this, because as, as he has coveted these things, as he has uh, longed for these things, there's something that's really, I think, significant to see. We've seen it back in verse 14. In the morning you shall be brought according to your tribes, and then you shall go for, they'll bring the tribe, and from the tribe you'll bring the families, and from the family you'll bring the households, and from the household you'll bring the man of the house. My point to all this is God knows all of us. He knows every. He, I mean, he, he, he could have just like literally called Achan out on the spot. But, but he showed how you're all integrated together. You're all a part of this together. So when one person, you know, is getting away with it and practicing it, it literally affects other people and it affects people in the family and all different things. And don't, don't make it just a monetary thing. Don't overlook that. But you see what Achan was doing. He was being deceptive. He was choosing to pretend that God won't know. And God's making it known to the, the nation of Israel by tribe, by family, by household, by head of household. I know how to, I know what's going on. And Achan just owns it once he has to. There's a big difference between disclosure and discovery. I believe, this is just my tilt, it's only what it is. Um, I don't have a passage where I could emphatically and definitively say this is the why I believe this. But I believe that if Achan would have owned it early, he would experience mercy. But because he wouldn't agree, he would he just kind of went along with it, the consequences were greater. So you know that as a parent, you anybody who you know in many cases you just you'd rather have disclosure and and the humility that comes with admitting it than discovery, because discovery takes a lot of work. It doesn't for God, but it does for you and I to work through the facts and get to the point, and, and then there's because there's this growing deception that takes place. So realize this for all of us. Sin is a horrible delay and a deadly detour. Let's look in chapter 9. In chapter 9, it's another situation and I would just make this comment. Seek his counsel before making a covenant. Seek his counsel before making a covenant. Now, so what happened? Ai falls. They, they seek the Lord. They bow, they, they, there's a nation. They humble themselves. Uh, uh, Joshua then just says, listen, we're going to do it the way God would have us do it, not the way we think we can do it. And interestingly enough, they, they are successful there in Ai. They, they make grounds. Um, Joshua renews the covenant he has with the Lord, um, you know, recognizing what had been given through Moses. We see there in the latter part of chapter 8. In chapter 9, we have, many of you know this, the Gibeonites. It's a really interesting thing because this one is a very, not perplexing, but very it's a challenging in a good way, causing us to, to weigh out by reason of use, having our senses sharpened to be able to discern both good and evil. It came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the lowland and in all the coasts of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard about it, that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins, tore and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, old garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua to the camp of, at Gilgal and said to him and all to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell among us. So how can we make a covenant with you? 
But they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where are you from? Where do you come from? So they said to him, from a very far country of your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. We have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, king of Hezbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. Therefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provision with you for the journey, and go to meet them, and say to them, We are your servants. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. This bread of ours we took hot for our provision from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now, look, it's dry and moldy. And these wineskins, which we filled with new, and see, they are torn. And these garments and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. Verse 14. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. We really don't need to read anymore. We, we, we realize right then, it's like, whoa. But they did not ask counsel of, his Lord, of the Lord. Seek his counsel before making a covenant. And we know we can see kind of how they, they were persuaded. But here's what's really the perplexing part to some degree. This is an agreement of deception, Correct. So why can't you just void the contract? Because you represented God and you said, it's okay, okay, we'll make a deal with you. And it's, it's very interesting to me. It, like I say, it's not an easily reconciled one because I still believe in, in my own way of thinking, which is really a dangerous way of thinking. But it's like, this is all a sham. They, they, they fraudulently made this deal. And then when it's uncovered that the deal is a fraud, void the contract. There's no covenant now, but that's not what happened. Because they did not seek the counsel of God, they represented God, and God's saying, you're going to have to deal with this one. He literally makes them have to deal with this contract. He doesn't void, God doesn't void the contract. And in reality, they, they swear to be woodcutters and, uh, and water carriers for the house of God, and, and they hope they're held to that. It's a brilliant play, can we agree, by the Gibeonites. Because they're toast. They know what happened to, to Jericho and to AI. We're done. We're, we're, we're not going to, we ain't got nothing. We can't, even if we lined with a, made a covenant and, and kind of come together as a, as a group of nations, we're done. So I think it's just a brilliant move, but it's, it's crafty and it's deceptive. And those that who would want to align, align with you in this world, they don't have the Lord's ideas in mind. And you live in a time when people are going to be more and more crafty. And they're going to be more and more wanting to make a deal. Well, let's just do it this way. We could do it this way. And you and I, we've got to say, okay, you know, that's, a, that's an interesting approach. It seems like a good deal to me. Let me pray about it. I had a situation years ago where I was offered a job in, in Las Vegas. And it, was, it would have been, it started at 80,000 a year. And this was 30 years ago, 28 years ago. So it was, it was serious change then. A lot more than I was making. And I knew the guy, and, and I knew that he was leaving because he, he never stayed, stayed anywhere. He just moved from job to job. When he told him what they could do, what he could do, and they gave him good money. When they found out he couldn't do it, he got another job somewhere else. So I, I worked with him. So I knew I'm, I'll, be, I'll be in his position in a year. But I told him, I said, you know, let me pray about it. Let me think it through. He's like, what? And I said, no, let me just pray about it. And this is what he said to me. Well, I don't know, whatever, but hey, just come down here on our dime. It won't cost you enough a thing. You and Cam can have a free vacation. We'll put you up for a week. We'll take care of your entertainment, your food, your housing. We'll, you know, you just get here. We'll take care of everything. There's a part of me that's cheap. And that sounded like a really good deal. But I had to stop and pray about it. I was like, no, I said, no, I'm not going to, if I'm not going to take the deal, I can't even entertain your offer, even though he made it sound like a vacation. Because you all know, right? On about the fourth or fifth day of being down there, then your arm's twisted. Hey, we invested a lot of money in you. If you weren't going to come, if you weren't going to take the job, why did you come down here? It would have been to torture. Anyway, I just want to say, it was really literally Kim and I praying, okay, Lord, where would you have us? What, 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 you know, what's, your, what's your counsel on this? Seek the counsel before making a covenant. So we are running out of time, but we're just right on time because we'll go to Joshua 24. Joshua 24. You are familiar with the passage of the verse. It's the end of Joshua's life. 
amazing successes, amazing things have taken place. Many that we went past that you can use it as homework to read the rest of the story, the, uh, the biblical account from Joshua. But we find ourselves in Joshua 24, verse 13, as Joshua is given his his final message, if you would. He's, he's right at the last days of his physical life. I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Verse 14, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in Really, it speaks of completeness in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. My outline point would be continue to serve God. You know just from this brief, brief overview and cherry picking of the book of Joshua, you know, Joshua had some ups and downs. And there's some times I'm sure he didn't feel like staying the course. And things were very difficult. But here he's making this declaration. Continue to serve the Lord. Continue to serve the Lord. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, we're told to walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That's the key. That's the power in all of this. Learning how to walk in the Spirit and not give in to the desires and the temptations of the flesh. Because we know as we go through this life, whether it's the Gibeonite factor or our own perceptions or being vulnerable to deception, we need to have an ear to hear what the Spirit says. Develop that intimacy with God, that, that awareness not just of His Word, but of His presence. As a born-again Christian, you have God Himself and the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling you. He can indwell this vessel because this vessel has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the righteousness of Christ that was accomplished through His perfect life, His substitutionary death for you, and His rising from the dead. And so because of that, the Holy Spirit now indwells these vessels. We're, 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 we're inhabitable by a holy God. And inhabiting us, being dwelling within us, we're told that he, the Holy Spirit, you read this in John from 14 through 16, we're told that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. We're told that the Holy Spirit, Jesus said this, he will bring to your remembrance the things that I've said to you. And you have to realize, and we have to know, and we have to believe and hold on to, that's true for you and me, just as it was for them at that moment. It's true for you and I. He'll, he will literally walk us and lead us and guide us into truth. The question we find, will I walk in the Spirit, or will I entertain the excessive appetites of this nature? Because most of us, I, can't, I don't know of a single one of you, if I don't have a single person, it's not limited to this time, that has not given in to the appetites of the flesh while telling themselves it's okay, the Lord will overlook it, or the Lord's okay with it. And so don't guilt trip yourself and go try to find all your faults, but just say, hey, I just want to have an ear to hear. Let's wrap it up with Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 1. Hebrews 12. This is beautiful because it says, therefore, and you're going to wonder what the therefore is therefore, so you'd immediately draw back to chapter 11, which is what's subtitled in some Bibles, heroes of faith. Those who have walked, learning to walk with God, learning to understand the ways of God, learning to see the work of God, while they come to know the word of God. And so as they're grasping this, you know, you just see these amazing examples in those 40 verses, and then it says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, which is those in chapter 11 and others, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
or consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. So I'd like to pray, and then we'll just have, we're going to pray, I'll close in prayer, and if you need to, to leave, you know, promptly, I understand. But, you know, just going to give us some time to kind of mull and chew and think on things. You know, we gather in his name, we, we worship him with music, with adoration, with our hearts and minds open to his word. And, and we have, I believe, a, a, an important responsibility to, to learn to retain that, to learn to identify that, to, to make a note. This really stuck out to me. This verse resonated with me. This, this portion that was, we were looking at, it, it, I got to look into that more. Make your notes. Do whatever you do. Collect yourself, we would say, to, to kind of understand. I want to fight the good fight of faith. I want to stay the course. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for tonight, and thank you for your word. As we, we do desire, because you've given us that appetite, that desire to grow, to mature, to stay the course in the midst of challenging times, deception from around us, deception within us, Lord, passions and pursuits and preferences. Oh, Lord, we, we need more of you and less of us. And so tonight, Lord, help us to, to collect and consider, to glance back at what you've already shown us, what you have emphasized and, and, and made a, a specific point to in our hearts privately. Help us to retain that. And more than just retain it, help us to know your direction. Help us to know that encouragement that comes from you as you speak to our hearts. Help us to grasp this amazing truth that you, the almighty God, creator of the universe, savior of our souls, that you speak privately and personally and intimately to us because you love us and you know what's best for us. You build us up and strengthen us. You teach us your ways and you prepare us for anything that is to come. To you be the glory, both now and forever. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Let's just take-